A reading from Isaiah. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, and as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so will your God rejoice over you. The word of the Lord. A reading from 2 Corinthians. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we should be humiliated to say nothing of for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The word of the Lord. It's the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory 
you, Lord Christ. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father, we pray through your Holy Spirit that we would be like those servants in our gospel reading today, that we would do whatever you tell us. Give us open ears, Lord, to hear from you. Give us responsive hearts to act and to walk in your ways. And we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, I'm going to start uh, with an illustration from a Marvel movie. So my apologies to those of you that have found a way to stay out of the whole Marvel uh, universe. Um, so it'll be quick, I promise. Uh, but this is from uh, early on in the Marvel series in the, the first Avengers movie. Um, there is a moment where aliens are... Um, invading New York City. I know that sounds dumb when you talk about it, but when you're in the movie, you're into it, okay? So these aliens are invading New York City. The Avengers are fighting against the aliens. One of the Avengers is named Captain America. He gives directions to a police captain who has a group of police with him, tells him numerous directions of what this police captain should direct his police to do in order to uh, protect civilians so that innocent people aren't hurt. Um, the police captain's uh, response to Captain America's telling him what to do is why should I listen to you? That's a little bit of a paraphrase, but basically that's the idea. Why should I listen to you? Um, before Captain America can answer him, he has three aliens swoop down and surround him, and he fights all three of them in awesome ways. The police captain, when he sees Captain America does that, he basically has his answer. I um, mean, he turns to the rest of the police and says, basically, do what this man told you to do. <laughs> a bit like Mary in our gospel reading. Listen to him. So the police captain has a why. Why should I listen to you? But the answer actually comes in a who. Who is Captain America? Is he worthy to take directions from? And basically he sees in that moment, I should do what this guy tells me to do. He knows what he's doing. I want to consider a why question today, an important why question. Why should Christians give financially? Why should we be financially generous? Why is part of the life of a disciple of Jesus giving away our money? And the answer actually comes from a who. I want to suggest it comes from two who's. First, who is God? And secondly, who are we? Who are we in light of who God is? Who has God called us to be? And so we ask that why question. I think often we go to different places to try to answer that. 
And I want to suggest, again, the starting place is let's look at who God is and let's look then at who we are in the Lord, who we are called to be. I want to consider um, this question from our passage today from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, a, a familiar passage, one that pastors often pull out during giving season. So it's kind of ironic I'm doing it in January. Usually that's a great December uh, message uh, when you're encouraging people to get end of the year gifts. Um, but we actually were in 2 Corinthians this summer, and we got all the way through chapter 8, and we are continuing. We are back in 2 Corinthians, and we'll remain um, in this uh, letter of Paul's to the, the church in Corinth, the second letter to them, uh, throughout the rest of Epiphany, and, until uh, we begin um, Lent in March. And uh, I love 2 Corinthians. It's a book full of emotion. You, you hear Paul's deep love for the Corinthian church, but at times his frustration with the Corinthian church, and so um, be ready for entering into that world. I mean, what happens when we study um, First and Second Corinthians is we often need to sort of step back and say, what was going on? What were the dynamics? Um, it's so full of application to our lives, of course, because it's the Word of God. But it's helpful to understand what was the initial sort of reason uh, for um, these directions to understand then how they apply to us. And so if you look at that first paragraph, you get a little bit of what's going on. I mean, a lot of this is building actually on chapter 8. So when, um, in, in verse 1, when uh, Paul, the Lord through Paul, says it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, the ministry for the saints is an offering that Paul has been collecting to go to Christians in Jerusalem who had suffered from a famine. And so basically, you know, Jerusalem's the, you know, home where, you know, the Christian church began, the gospel's gone out from um, Jerusalem, you know, starting on the day of Pentecost. And so Paul is concerned that the churches who have received so much from Jerusalem now give back to support Christians there who are, are suffering because of a famine. And so he's organized this offering and he's going around to the different churches, collecting the offering to bring it back and to care for those in need. And we know um, from chapter 8, and we hear more here, that the Corinthian church, and Achaia is just the area where Corinth is, that they had made a commitment um, to give to this offering, uh, but they hadn't given it yet. So basically, it's like they had made a pledge and said, this is how much we'll give, but they hadn't followed through on the giving of the gift. And so that's his concern there in that first paragraph. And then these brothers are coming, Titus and a couple other representatives, names we don't know. Um, And Paul is saying, when they come to you, they're going to help you get that gift ready. But the gift needs to be ready. You need to be ready to be giving it uh, by the time I get to you with some of the Macedonians. And the Macedonians' churches, we know this from um, chapter 8, they also had given to this offering. Paul actually celebrated them in chapter 8 saying they gave out of their poverty. Corinth, as far as we can tell, is a pretty wealthy area. Macedonia was not as wealthy. So they had given out of their poverty. But he's telling them here they were inspired to give because of the commitment the church in Corinth made. So you can see kind of the, you know, the, the mutual sort of encouragement, right? You know, be encouraged by Macedonia. They gave out of poverty, but they gave because they heard about your commitment. You were actually one of the first churches to commit. So that's the dynamic there. But you also hear in that first paragraph, Paul's concern with if you don't follow through, if you don't honor the commitment you made, it will actually be humiliating for you and for me. Because I've told everyone you made this commitment you need to follow through on it, or there will be shame brought upon you. And maybe we read them, we feel like, man, Paul's being kind of manipulative here. Like, don't embarrass yourself. You better give the money or else it's going to look really bad. But we have to keep in mind what a shame-honor culture this was, right? I mean, shame-honor is a dynamic in our culture today, but nowhere near the dynamic it was then. So he's trying to protect them from shame. And that's a huge deal, right? He's being kind to them by saying, you do not want to be shamed in this. 
Right? We actually see the importance of protecting people from shame in our gospel reading. When Jesus turned that water into wine, he was doing a lot of things. I mean, there's full things there. I won't give a separate sermon on John. Uh, but one thing he was doing is he was protecting the hosts of that wedding from shame. If they had run out of wine, that would have been devastating for that family, whoever was hosting that wedding. And so he was serving them actually by providing more wine. And so again, we see Paul actually serving the Corinthians saying, don't not follow through. That would look really bad. It would actually be bad for you if you don't follow through on this commitment. But then he makes it clear, but I don't want you to give because I'm forcing you to give. I don't want you to give actually just to avoid embarrassment. I want you to give out of a willingness. I want you to give because you're excited to give. And so that comes back to that question. Why give then? What is the reason to give? If it's not because we're being forced to, then why should we give? Like I said, we start actually with the question, who? Who is God? When we say, when I say it is good to give, it is good to be generous, I'm saying God says it is good to be generous, right? Whenever we say anything is good for Christians, whenever we think anything is good, it comes back to God. God determines what is good, right? That comes from his character, from his revelation to us. And so we can say God says it is good to be generous. Now think about how differently, different that is than if we say my pastor says it's good to be generous or my boss says it's good to be generous, right? We can think of all sorts of people we could put in there. Right? If we say, if I say, your pastor says it's good to be generous, probably you're going to think, I love my pastor, of course you're going to think that, I trust him, um, uh, but, you know, of course he wants me to be generous, right? I mean, he leads a church that's dependent upon offerings, right? And so it's understandable that he wants me to be generous because that's part of his work and part of his ministry, right? If your boss says, you know, be generous, give to this offering, um, you're probably going to think, well, you know, he wants me to give to that offering because the more of his employees that he supervises give to that offering, the better it looks because the company wants to set certain, you know, giving goals, right? We're oftentimes, when we're told you should do this, our mind goes to what's in it for the person telling me I should do that, right? What do they get out of it? What does God get out of our giving? And the first place we can start is he does not get out of it financial gain. God is not lacking in some way, and he's thinking, if only they would give, then I could do all these things. Maybe sometimes we think that way. If only I had more money, I could do this, this, and this. God does not think that way, right? We know that he's not wondering, ah, man, I'm so limited because people don't give enough, right? God has no need. We can be very clear on that. And so the one who owns the hills (laughs) or the cattle in a thousand hills is not, you know, desperate for money. But yet he calls us to give, even though first and foremost, he's the giver, right? When we think, where do we receive what we've gotten? It comes from him. From the very beginning, God is the giver, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what does he do when he, you know, creates everything? He entrusts it to humans to be stewards of that creation. He gives to them. He places them in a garden, right? He cares for them. So God is a giver, And so we see that very clearly um, in this passage, right? Verse 10, he who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food. He gives um, material um, needs. He he fulfills our um, financial and material needs. But then look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. God gives us grace. We may think other things come from other people. Again, we would affirm all things come from God. But very clearly, grace comes from God. He makes all grace abound to you. When we speak of grace, we speak of the free gift of eternal life. 
that comes through faith in Jesus. We speak of the forgiveness of our sins that we receive in Christ, right? We speak of the hope that we have in knowing Jesus and being in relationship with God. And again, that grace extends for all eternity, and that is a free gift. All we do is receive it, right? All we have to do is ask for that free gift, to put our faith in the Lord, and we receive that gift. Now, it's also a costly gift. It costs our Lord Jesus Christ his life. He sacrificed for us so that we might know grace. He rose again and defeated death, that we might know eternal life. But that is what the Lord gives. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. It's a beautiful truth. There's a moment in a couple chapters um, after this, Second Corinthians, that we'll get to, where Paul shares a story about a time when he was in crisis, right? And he called out to the Lord in that crisis and in his pain. And he heard Jesus speak to him and say, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? And this clearly is growing out of that, right? The Lord spoke to him, and now he's speaking what the Lord spoke to him to the Corinthian church, saying, look, grace is, he's made a grace abound in you. It's sufficient. His grace is sufficient for you. You have all sufficiency in all things at all times that you may abound in every good work. So we have all that we need. We have grace, right? We may face challenges in this life. We will, right? We may face difficulties. We may face needs. But if we are in Christ, we have received grace, right? We know that we have life eternal. Um, we know that the Lord is with us um, and for us in all that we do. So first and foremost, right, the Lord gives to us. But secondarily, we can say the Lord gives, but the Lord also gives through us. So he gives to us. He gives us abundantly. But actually, the way the Lord gives to others is through his people. It's not the only way he gives to others. He gives in so many ways. But one of the ways he gives is through his people, through us. And so, again, right, he, he provides uh, for material needs. Um, there's a quote there um, uh, in verse 9 from Psalm 112. And the, the quote is actually, when, when you read it in this context, it may sound like it's describing God, and it certainly does apply to God. But actually, from the psalm, it's describing the righteous person. This is what the righteous person looks like. He distributes freely. He gives to the poor. So the Lord cares for the poor. He cares for needs through his people, right? Through the righteous ones, through those who are seeking to honor him. So one purpose, again, of God giving through his people is to relieve suffering, is to care for the least of these, to care for the poor. We see God's heart for the poor throughout all the scriptures. And one of the ways he cares for the poor is through his people. But also, right, the Lord gives in order that he would be glorified. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service, the ministry of your giving, is not only supplying the needs of the saints, right? So that's important. Through your giving, you're supplying the needs, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Your giving leads to more people giving thanks to God. Your giving actually leads to God being glorified. And that is when we ask the question, what's in it for God? That's what's in it for God. God wants people to be blessed, and he wants himself to be glorified. But of course, God wanting himself to be glorified is not because, you know, God's insecure, God's egotistical, he needs more and more attention. He wants himself to be glorified because that's what's good for the world. Right? That's what's good for each one of us, to glorify the Lord, to be used by God that more people would give thanks to him and would know him is when we're living our fullest lives, right? That's the abundant life that the Lord calls us to, a life of glorifying him. So yes, so God does get something out of our giving, right? He gets the poor being served, needs being met, and 
more thanksgivings going to him. And again, in his grace and his kindness, he has chosen, one of the ways he's chosen to give is through his people. So that's right, who the Lord is. So then if we ask the question, well, who are we? Well, we also are givers, right? He's a giver. And again, as we've already made clear, he gives through us. But I believe it's really important that the starting point when we consider who we are is that we are receivers. Before we can give, we first receive. And so you have verse 6. Right? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Right? It's an you know, image of throwing seeds. Or as I said in the first service, you can imagine throwing salt um, if you uh, want to get in sort of the Minnesota mindset um, that we were this morning. Right? So as you sow sparingly, if you, if you sow only a few seeds, you're only going to reap you know, minimal crops. But if you sow bountifully, if you give away generously, you're going to reap bountifully. And oftentimes people take this quote and they kind of take it out of context and they almost make it like it's us first. Like first you have to sow generously and then God will provide for you. But if you sow sparingly, God won't provide for you. But we have to read this in the context where in verse 10 we read, he who supplies seed to the sower. So any seed you have to distribute comes from the Lord. Right? And so first and foremost, we receive from the Lord. He's the giver of all gifts, right? Anything good we have, anything we have comes from Him. And out of that abundance that we have received, we then sow abundantly. And so, yes, as we sow abundantly, we reap abundantly. Now, sometimes that actually may be in material things. Many people have experienced that as they give away money, as they are free with their resources, they experience actually prosperity. They experience more financial resources. And I am so thankful for that because I know many people that that's been their experience and they just give more away, right? As they experience more um, resources, they share those resources, right? And the Lord has given them incredible gifting and around stewardship. There are others though, like the church in Macedonia, which we hear about in chapter eight, who give generously and actually remain in poverty. Everything we, we can tell from Macedonian churches is they didn't see sort of this incredible financial windfall, but what they experienced was bountiful joy. Right? They experienced a bountiful um, uh, uh, meaning in being used by the Lord and glorifying the Lord. And so Paul really is promising the Corinthian church here, as you give bountifully, right, thanksgivings are going to overflow from this. People will be served and you will experience bountiful joy. You will experience the joy and pleasure of the Lord. So again, I believe our starting point is to be a receiver. And out of that, then, we can be a cheerful giver, right? The Lord loves a cheerful giver, right? It's a, a favorite passage uh, to quote. And maybe you've heard that before and you've thought, man, I, I like the idea, but I'm just not a cheerful giver. You know, I just, I find it anxious to figure out how to, to give. I, I find it hard to give. I'm so aware of all the things, you know, I have that I need to take care of, all my responsibilities to think about giving. It's very hard to be cheerful in that. And again, my encouragement for you would be to start in that place of how are you receiving from the Lord? How are you celebrating the grace that he makes abound, right? The sufficiency of his grace. And to live in sort of that reality of being a receiver and to give out of that. Sometimes our starting point is I need to look at the need. And there is so much need out there. And we should look at the need. Right? We need to acknowledge there is significant need, right? We heard about significant need with Together for Good, the awesome work they're doing, right? They want to do more of it because there's more need out there. And so we need to listen to that and hear that. But then to bring that to the Lord, who is the bountiful giver, and say, Lord, use me in that, but use me willingly. May I cheerfully give. May I joyfully give out of whatever you have provided for me. 
I think sometimes actually probably if we went into sort of how we remember that verse or maybe the place we go is God loves a wise giver. And I would say that is true. God does love a wise giver. And wisdom is very important to the Lord, right? All we have to do is read the scriptures, read the wisdom books. We see how important wisdom is to the Lord. And so absolutely, we should be wise in our giving. Jesus said, don't throw pearls before swine. So he was warning against unwise giving. But I think sometimes in our desire to be wise givers, we actually miss out on being cheerful givers, right? I don't think they're opposed to each other. I don't think they fight with each other. But I wonder sometimes in the desire to be wise, we can almost be paralyzed in our giving. And that we need to remember, yes, we are to be wise. We are to be careful in how we give and to give well and with wisdom. But we're to be cheerful in it. Sometimes maybe in asking, what's wise? How should I use my money? To also ask the question, man, how can I joyfully use my money? Are there ways the Lord has a way of joy for me that involves giving? And perhaps even giving in a way that would seem reckless apart from the kingdom. But according to kingdom realities, it's actually a joyful place he's inviting us to. There's no rule book. It can be frustrating at times figuring out giving, right? 10% is a great goal to have to give um, your finances away. It was a goal for the um, uh, people of God throughout the scriptures, right? But, uh, but ultimately it comes down to you and the Holy Spirit and discerning together with, with others how to give. I encourage you to seek out that cheerful place of giving, knowing how much the Lord has given to you. I know as I share this this morning for many of you, and again, maybe for all of you, I, I definitely know for many of you, this is not theory. You don't read this and think, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder what that's like. Do you read this and you think, I know this. I've experienced this. I've experienced the joy that comes from giving, right? I've experienced actually in others giving and my thanksgivings overflowing to God and in my giving and seeing other people's thanksgivings overflowing to God. And if you haven't experienced that, I, I hope you do. But you can also know that we've experienced this as a church. Right, that as people have given generously to Church of the Cross, the Lord has given us an opportunity after opportunity to give away. Right? And it's a joy. It truly is. One recent example of this that many of you are familiar with, it's become our practice since uh, almost since our, our first year um, to give away um, the entirety of an offering on our children's Sunday. And so we have a Sunday where we celebrate kids. They're very involved in the service. And our first children's pastor, Elizabeth Stewart, suggested early on that we just give that entire offering away, right? We don't put a cap on it. We just say whatever is given that Sunday, we will give. And quite honestly, there have been some um, children's Sundays where I've thought, I can't believe we're giving that away. It's like the biggest offering we've had all fall. But we've made the commitment, right? We've just said, we believe this is what the Lord is calling us to do. So this year we gave $15,000 away to a hospital in Tanzania. Many of you are familiar with the work of Steve and Jody Swanson. So, and money there goes so much farther than it does here. And basically giving that money away, we're helping kids survive to get nutrition. We're helping doctors and nurses to get trained to care that will go out throughout Tanzania and probably throughout East Africa helping hospitals to be strengthened in their work, to relieve suffering. And there's no regrets, right? It's just pure joy. So may we continue to embrace uh, this joyful calling to be cheerful givers. May it grow out of our knowledge of the Lord and our understanding of who we are in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have in your goodness, actually, in your generosity, chosen to give through us. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would be sensitive to however you lead us in our giving. Lord, we um, thank you for your bountiful generosity. We thank you, Lord, that our giving doesn't have to come out of guilt or out of shame, but come out of a, a willing desire to serve you and to serve others. And Lord, we thank you as we prepare uh, tomorrow to celebrate Martin Luther King Day. We just thank you for Dr. King's legacy 
We thank you for the reminder um, that this day um, gives to us that it is good to serve. It's good to make sacrifices and to be generous for the sake of others. We pray that you continue to move our hearts in generosity, Lord. And we give you all thanks and praise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.